Well, we have been looking at the book of Philippians, the New Testament letter that Paul wrote to some folks in Philippi, and under the whole theme of, of living joyfully, and we're going to wrap up that study in chapter 4, uh, the back section of that, but as you're turning to that this morning, let me just take a moment and just say thank you. Uh, many of you have been so kind to, uh, to express uh, uh, your, your love and your prayers uh, for, uh, for Susan and myself, and she had a, a successful uh, surgery uh, Friday at uh, got her home Friday afternoon and things are going well, just uh, kind of that, that process of, of recovery there, kind of the first step in a, a long journey of the treatment of the breast cancer there, but uh, just thank you. Thank you so much uh, for your gracious, gracious prayers, and uh, we certainly feel them and know God's hand was, was upon the whole thing. So just wanted to take a moment and, and just say uh, thank you uh, this morning uh, as uh, we gather together. As you think about the, the, this morning, I want you to think about a scene that you no doubt have witnessed and been, some of you, personally a part of. A young couple standing in front of a church with a minister. Family and friends are gathered. She's decked out in white. He's dressed up and nervous as can be. They have the music, and the service goes much more quickly than they, they ever dreamed it would. And then comes that moment when they're standing and repeating vows. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. And what you know at that very moment, having been on both sides of that, what you know in that very moment is that every single couple, just about 100%, as they're standing there repeating those words, what they're really thinking is better, richer, healthier, right? That, that's kind of, I know we're saying these other words, but what we really want is better, richer, healthier. And a lot of times we get it. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes there are hard financial times. Sometimes sickness, disease enters into the equation. And in those moments, we have to kind of reorient where is the source of our joy? Where does our center, where does our contentment come from? When life doesn't go according to plan, it's in those moments that we most desperately need to discover joy and contentment. And that's what Paul kind of guides us through in the last section of this letter, beginning in verse 10, how we can go about discovering the joy of contentment. Larry Burkett kind of humorously said, contentment must be one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian life. He said, it has to be one of the greatest mysteries because so few seem to have found it. We have an abundance of stuff. And he dealt with people and their stuff for most of his life. And yet he found many folks struggled with contentment. 
Contentment is independent from circumstances. It's an inside job. It's, it's about the, the core of our being. It's about what we're centered on. It's about a, a satisfaction. It's about a, a joy that isn't dependent upon what's going on around us. Please don't misunderstand. Joy, contentment is not apathy. It's not laziness. It's not complacency. Sometimes we look at somebody and they just, they just say, well, they must be content. I mean, they just kind of seem to have no motivation or anything like that. Paul was not lazy. Paul was not apathetic when it came to the mission that God had called him to. Paul was many things, but complacent wasn't one of them. And yet he learned. He learned how to be content. And that to me is encouraging, and I hope it'll be encouraging to you that contentment is something we can learn. If it's not something that you kind of naturally feel wired toward, or maybe you never really saw it modeled when you grew up or in the, the, the friendship circles you travel in, contentment is something that we can learn, and it can feed on and it can fuel joy in our lives. And so what I want us to do in this last section that we're going to look at in this this rich, rich letter, is to learn, is to learn from Paul contentment. And some of the things that he modeled or held up in others to model for us uh, that help us to learn contentment. It begins in verse 10 where he expresses a word of gratitude. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now we're going to return to gratitude here in just a few moments, but, but I want you just to, to note on the front end that gratitude is an important part of this whole uh, learning contentment along the way. Paul was thankful that they ministered to him. They ministered financially. They had sent Epaphroditus, as we had looked at earlier in this series, to kind of physically minister to his needs. And so he was very, very grateful for that. But, but his contentment was not based on what they did or didn't do. He was grateful for it, but there was more to it than that. And so one of the first things that Paul models for us is avoid comparisons. If you really want to learn contentment, you got to get out of the comparisons game. He goes on in verse 11. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, now check out those words. Whatever situation I am in. Chuck Swindoll said, if you want to be a miserable mortal, compare. If you want misery in your life, just get into the comparison game because it, it, it will rob you of contentment. It will suck the joy out of you. Start comparing your situation and circumstances to somebody else's around you. That's not what Paul did. Paul modeled for us, whatever the situation, don't spend all your time looking around, but look up. Look up. Look up to say, God is with me. Look up to say, God is at work. God is doing something in the midst of this. God is shaping some things in my life. He would write to the Corinthians, as we look, not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There are things that we tend to fix our eyes on that, that in the scope of things really don't matter, right? Right? 
And some of us, we've lived long enough to, to look back over seasons of our life and to realize there were some things that I got worked up about, that I was sweating over, that I, I got all fired up about. I, they don't mean a thing. I look back and say, what in the world? That was transient. It didn't matter. But when you look around, when you look around, you get into that comparison trap, and it'll suck the contentment right out of you. We all live with, or at least are tempted to live with, some crushing misconceptions when it comes to the area of contentment. Here's the first one. I must have what others have, right? I must have what others have, right? This is what drives every fad and every fashion in the world, right? I must have what others have. Have you ever looked back at some pictures of yourself in certain eras of your life and you think, who let me go out of the house wearing that? Huh? Oh, my. man. Why did I? That looks ridiculous. Why? Because I had to have what everybody else had. Why is your car perfectly fine until your friend gets a new one? <laughs> and then you start hearing yours make noises and starts doing things, right? Because I have this misconception, I buy into this myth, I must have what others have. My house is fine until somebody else gets a bigger house. My vacation, I enjoy it until somebody gets to take a trip I haven't gotten to take, Right? And then I begin to think, I must have what others have. Second misconception, I must be liked by everyone. I must be liked by everyone. If I'm going to be content, I must be liked by everyone. This will drive you insane, won't it? Oh, my goodness, right? I, I heard Lou Holtz speak uh, earlier this year. Classic Lou Holtz, the, the famed coach of Notre Dame, football coach, and lots of his one-liners, so some great stories. But well, one of the things Lou said in that setting, he said, he said, listen, don't, don't complain. Don't complain about your problems because he said, listen, 90% of the people don't care. And the other 10% are glad you have them, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, man, right? Listen, if, if your contentment is based on everybody liking you, if it's based on the number of hearts or likes or whatever you get on social media, you're, you're going to ride a, a, a horrible wave of contentment, right? Third misconception, I must have more than I now have. I must have more than I now have. Famous billionaire, if I called their name, you would know it right off the bat was once asked, how much is enough? His answer, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And that's not just billionaires. It's all of us, right? Sometimes we have this secret dialogue. If I just made a little bit more, if I just had a little more of this, a little more of that, I just had just a little bit more, then I would be happy. Then life would be good. But what you discover is that the people who already have that little bit more are also saying the same thing. <laughs> if I just had just a little bit more. These conceptions, can, can, can these myths that we buy into, they, they, they can crush the reality of contentment in our life. Paul, when he's coaching Timothy, said the opposite. But godliness, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these, we will be content. If you're going to avoid comparisons, you have to be aware of the danger of an obsession with possessions, right? Because that, that, that'll crush it for us in our culture. We, we begin to kind of be obsessed with what we have or what somebody else has or what we don't have or I can't believe I don't have the latest technology or the latest whatever it is. And I can always get caught up in this discontent because there's always something else. I can begin to have an obsession with possessions. Avoid comparisons is one of the first lessons that Paul teaches us on the road to learning contentment. The second is this, adjust to change. Adjust to change. Look at the very next verse, verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What is he saying? Life changes, right? Life changes. In fact, as few things are as certain in life as the certainty of change. It is changing all the time. And the speed of change seems to keep increasing. If your contentment is based on, I've got to just like get everything set and everything in its place, and once that happens, then freeze. Then I'll be content. You are going to be one miserable puppy, right? Because life is constantly changing. Things are changing around us at breakneck speed. And part of learning contentment is learning how to adapt and to adjust to change. It's been said there are at least three categories of circumstances in all of our lives. There's those that I can control and do. There are circumstances I can exercise control over. God gives me stewardship. He's given me managerial responsibility over these things in my life, and I am to exercise that responsibility. Those things I can control and do. But there's also that category of things I can control and I don't. There are things that God has called me to exercise that managerial responsibility over, and for whatever reason, I choose not to. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I don't know how. I'm tired or whatever. And I choose not to. I kind of withdraw from it. Then there's a whole another category, and that's those circumstances I cannot control. And I went back and forth on the outline. I almost put and try to anyway, right? (laughs) There are those circumstances that I, I can't control, but sometimes I try to control them anyway. And part of the the journey to commitment is to say, God, help me to have the the ability to discern. What are those things that you have given me responsibility over? What are those things that are beyond mine? Help me to do what you have called and empowered me to do. Many folks have found great direction and comfort through the years in some version of the serenity prayer and there are different versions of it out there but it seems to fit so well with this basically it goes something like this lord give me the serenity to accept those things i cannot control the courage to face those things to change those things that i can and the wisdom to know the difference And that's part of the essence of of learning contentment 
is, Lord, help me to adapt to change. Yes, to change those things you've given me managerial responsibility over. But help me to have the serenity to accept some of those things that I can't. Listen, part of adapting to change is learning to be flexible because sometimes circumstances are not, right? Sometimes there are things that come into our lives we didn't ask for and we don't, we don't like them, but they're there and they're not going to change. And we have to be flexible. One of my favorite Proverbs, it's not a biblical proverb, but it's still a pretty good one. Blessed are the flexible for they shall not be bent out of shape, right? I love it. I love it. All, I mean, blessed are the flexible, right? Some of us would up our contentment factor if we would learn a little flexibility. And flexibility, I think, is fueled when you maintain a sense of humor. When you maintain a sense of humor. Have you ever been in one of those situations where it was just getting tense and you're just all worked up and and then maybe somebody says something or maybe they just observe something that's kind of funny and you start to laugh And the circumstances hadn't changed. The challenge hadn't changed, but it seems like everything's changed because suddenly you were able to kind of laugh at it a little bit. I get that way sometimes when I'm doing repairs, you know, because I'm working on something and it's frustrating because it's like, this shouldn't be this hard and who designed this? And and then I kind of, at some point, maybe I hit my head or do something. At some point I realized... this is pretty funny. (laughs) And I start kind of laughing sometimes at my own stupidity, right? It helps. It helps. If I'm going to learn contentment, I have to be able to adjust to change. But not only adjust to change, but to draw on Christ's power. To draw on the power that is found in Jesus Christ. Verse 13, perhaps one of the best known uh, verses in all Philippians. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Some of you may have memorized that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, if you read that maybe without any context, you may think, well, that's kind of a a boastful statement, Paul. Uh, But it's not boastful. Paul was was in no no means self-sufficient, but he was Christ-sufficient. He he understood his limitations. He understood his weakness. But he said, I have learned. I have learned to to be content in abundance and in need. I have learned to be content when things are better and when they're worse. uh, In riches and in, in poverty. I have learned not because I am sufficient in and of myself. But because I draw on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. In fact, is the Greek word translated strengthens there is where we get our English words dynamite and dynamic from. There is this dynamic that comes into my life as I lean not just on my own strength, but on the sufficiency of the strength of Jesus Christ. That there is this, this power like dynamite that can begin to flow, that can make me sufficient for any challenge. Remember, he's writing from a prison cell. And as he's writing from prison, he says, I can do all things. I can do all things. I can be content in the middle of the mess because of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Contentment doesn't mean you're going to always like the situation you're in. I can't really imagine that Paul said, oh, good, I get to spend time in prison, right? Like he would have signed up for that. But with Christ's power, you can handle it. You are sufficient for it. You can cope. 
Some of you maybe even have battled against the idea of contentment because you're in the middle of some circumstances right now and you say, I don't like this. That's not contentment. You may not like where you are, but contentment says I'm going to draw on Christ's power right where I am. I know that in him I can be sufficient for this challenge. In him I can cope with this obstacle. In him I can overcome whatever it is that he's allowed into my life for this season. When Paul talks about contentment, he has a great track record. Not just because he's writing from a prison cell, but because of the life that he's lived. When you go to the letters to the Corinthians, Paul writes about a thorn in the flesh. We don't really know what that is, and God in his wisdom probably left that somewhat generic because we would compare for sure, right? We would compare for sure. And Paul says three times, which is just another way of saying repeatedly, repeatedly, I I cried out for God, change this circumstance. Get rid of this. That's a legitimate prayer request. But in that situation, God's answer was, I'm not going to change the circumstances, but Paul, if you'll allow me, I'll change you. I'll change you. And so he writes about God's response to him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He drew on Christ's strength, not not when he was at his strongest, but sometimes when he was at his weakest. Not because he liked the circumstances, but because they were challenging. And yet, regardless of the circumstances, whether it's a thorn in the flesh or a prison cell, Paul refused to play the victim. He refused to play the victim. He said, I can do all things. I can handle this. I can cope with this. By God's grace, I am sufficient for this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when you learn to draw on Christ's power, you can experience Christ's contentment regardless of the circumstances in your life. So he's drawing on Christ's power. But then he turns to the Philippians and he kind of holds them up as a model of this next thing that helps us to learn how to be content. And that is share generously and trust God to meet my needs. Share generously and trust God to meet my needs. Let me just read these, these next few verses and then we'll, we'll kind of break them down here just a little bit. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a whole lot there that we'll try to break down. But uh, he's commending, he's lifting up 
the Philippians because they shared generously. They, from the beginning, as they came to know Christ, giving was a part of who they were. They gave. And so here's Paul in prison. They gave to help meet some physical needs. They sent Epaphroditus as their representative to help meet those physical needs. But that's not the only time. You see them being held up as a model of this, this generous lifestyle, uh, even in other writings. To the Corinthians, uh, Paul is kind of holding up the Macedonians. We want you to know, brothers, he says, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now notice the description. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means of of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. What they model for us here is this generous spirit that wasn't dependent upon their circumstances. It wasn't because they just had such, such an abundance they didn't know what to do with it. They, they, they had a severe test of affliction in the midst of, of extreme poverty. They wanted to be a part. They wanted to be a part of not only meeting Paul's needs, but when there came an opportunity to meet the needs of some saints in the area of Jerusalem, they wanted to be first on board. They wanted to help lead the way. They were sharing generously. They operated out of an abundance mindset, an abundance mindset that said you share generously and you trust God to meet all of your needs. And so Paul expresses, he expresses gratitude to them. Gratitude for their gift in verse 14. That's what he began doing there in verse 10, that they had revived their concern, that they had shared in his troubles, that they were were giving. And so he was grateful. And by the way, one of the great fuels for contentment is gratitude. Sometimes we begin thinking about what we don't have or I need more to flip that and say, God, thank you for Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for the, Thank you for this blessing. Thank you for this person. And as you begin to give thanks, it fuels contentment in your life. There was gratitude, but there was also commendation. I mean, he is he is commending them. Well done. As he held them up as an example to the Corinthians, he's, he, he's just commending them. You set the pace. No other church in Macedonia entered into this partnership. Even when he was in Thessalonica and kind of all the, the trials that he went to there, you sent help for my needs once and again. And he, he continues just to, to commend them for their giving. But then he also gives them an assurance, an assurance that not only did he notice, and not only was he grateful, but God had taken notice of this. He said it wasn't so much about seeking the gift, but he was so grateful for the fruit, the fruit that was kind of being credited to their account. He's received full payment and more. He's well supplied, but he talks about the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to 
God. That, that when, you, when you give, when you operate out of that abundance mindset, when you give and share generously, it, it not only blesses people, it is not only commendable in the eyes of men, but, but God takes notice. And they come before God, kind of like this sacrifice, this fragrant offering that, that takes notice of God, that God is pleased, it is acceptable in His sight. And what does God do in response to that? He talked there in verse 19 that God was able to meet every need. How many needs? Every. Some of your translations will say all. Whatever needs. Sometimes I I operate out of a scarcity mentality that if I share this, if I share this opportunity, if I share this resource, that somehow there's not going to be enough left for me. When I operate out of that abundance mentality that says, listen, it all belongs to God, it all comes from God, I just get to manage it for a while, whether it's a gift, a talent, an opportunity, or financial resources. And when I begin to operate that way, it frees me to share generously. And when I share generously, I trust God to meet all of my needs. And that's part of the background of, uh, of the, the biblical practice of tithing. In the Old Testament, through the prophet Malachi, God says, in one of these places in Scripture, God says, I know you're going to struggle with this. I know you're going to struggle with this. Everything in your flesh is going to say no. The world system is going to say no. Uh, but put me first. Honor me first. Put me to the test in this area. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. And therefore, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Oh, now, please, don't. this is not a prosperity gospel here where I say you give this and, you know, God's going to give you a, a, a bigger house and a more expensive car and all those things. And I'm not saying that. But I'm saying God knows how to meet every need. Every need. Physical, financial, relational, mental, emotional. God knows how to meet our needs. And when I put him first and when I share generously, God says, I notice that. I take note of that. And I will meet every need out of his glorious riches, out of the abundance of his resources. He will meet your needs. It is that abundance mindset. Now, I'm just going to be real honest with you. I review all of these things Saturday before Sunday keep it fresh and go and I was I had a wrestling match with the Lord yesterday because I just really felt like he wanted me to share something and it's just it's just honestly against my nature to do it uh, but I'm going to do it in obedience to him but the Lord has just allowed me over the past couple years to share generously and I've been able to give a lot of stuff away as beyond a tithe, beyond missions giving, beyond some finances, but I've been able to give furniture away. I've been able to give uh, uh, a car away. Uh, I've been able to give, this, the past couple weeks, I've been able to give a, a sewing machine away, right? Like I needed a sewing machine, right? But, but 
it's just, it was so cool. This this grandmother who's been praying, she makes her grandkids clothes and her sewing machine went kaput and God allowed our paths to cross and I got to give it to her. I got to give it to her. And it is so stinking cool. It is so stinking cool. And, and I shared with a friend some of this along the way. And they said, dude, you could have made a lot of money selling that stuff. I said, yeah, I guess, but I'd have missed out on an awful lot of joy. And I don't know, but to me, the joy of giving it away was a whole lot better than any profit I'd have made having to deal with a Saturday morning bargain hunter, you know? I mean, I'm sorry if you were hunting bargains yesterday morning, but, but you know, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I'm just going to tell you, there is joy in generosity. There's joy in generosity. It's just share generously. Share generously and trust God to meet your needs. He will. He will. Put him to the test. He absolutely will. And it's one of the things that fuels contentment. As I share generously, it frees me up from that obsession with possessions. And it allows me to experience his joy and contentment with what he's entrusted to me right here, right now. Share generously and trust God to meet my needs. One other thing I want you to see in these lessons on contentment. And that is to focus on glorifying God. Focus on glorifying God. Verse 20 to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, you, you want to experience contentment? It can't be about you. It can't be focused on you, but there's got to be a greater cause, a greater passion, a greater reason for living, and that is to honor and glorify God. And when that is central in your life, it fuels your capacity to experience contentment regardless of the circumstances of your life. And it's not just here that Paul talks about that. It is a theme throughout his letters to the Corinthians. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He also wrote to the Corinthians, for you were bought with a price. If you are in Jesus Christ, you don't belong to you. You have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let that be central to who you are. Peter was was writing to those who were suffering. They were suffering for their faith as many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering all across the world for just nothing else other than being a follower of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of that suffering, Peter encouraged them. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But even in your suffering, let him glorify God in that name. How do you find contentment even in suffering, even in prison, even in challenge and trials and hurt and pain and loss and betrayal? You focus on glorifying God. In fact, is discontentment is a signal. It's kind of a, a warning light on the dashboard of life. It's a signal that Jesus Christ is not the center of my life. 
Discontentment is that blinking light that says something needs attention. And what needs attention is what is central in my life. When Jesus Christ is central in my life, it fuels and feeds contentment. When discontentment creeps in, it's a signal that something else has shifted to the throne. Something else has shifted to the center of my life. Contentment is being satisfied with the giver and not just the gifts. Sometimes even when we express gratitude, it's it's all about the gifts. And God, I'll be content when I, I see these good gifts kind of flowing. But contentment goes beyond the gifts. Yes, I'm grateful for the gifts, but more than just being grateful for the gift, I'm grateful for the giver. And contentment finds its satisfaction, not in the gifts, but being in the presence and being connected to the giver. There are certain practices, disciplines, aids that I think can help our spiritual walk along the way and i've tried to collect sometimes phrases or uh, even some written prayers things that i can turn to along the way to kind of help and there was a prayer that i came across a few years ago and i just kind of keep it keep it in a file that i can access very quickly and i can just pull it up and i just some just try to pull this up every now and again and just make sure that it's a part of my prayer rhythm. Because it's a prayer that, to me, helps kind of center me back to the glory of God, to the purposes of God, to that which can fuel contentment. I've shared it with some of you before, but it just seemed appropriate to share it again in this setting. The prayer goes like this. Lord, I am willing. Lord, I am willing to receive what you give, to lack what you withhold, to relinquish what you take, to suffer what you inflict, to be what you require. I don't pray that naturally in my flesh, but I have found it of prayer that fuels contentment. Lord, I'm willing to receive what you give. Trust your wisdom more than mine. To lack what you withhold, you have a reason for withholding. To relinquish what you take, hold it all with open hands. To suffer what you inflict, to be what you require. When I can begin to pray in that way, I'm operating out of a posture of contentment. And when that contentment becomes my posture, joy becomes my experience. I want you to experience the joy of contentment that only comes when Jesus Christ is at the center. Let's learn contentment together in him. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Father, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. You are the God who richly provides for us out of your glorious riches. 
And so, Father, we just come before you today, and uh, Lord, even as there was fog about us physically this morning, maybe some of us have come in in a fog, of, a fog of, of issues, a fog of challenges, a fog of problems, a fog of pain, a fog of misunderstanding. Uh, Father, whatever it is, Lord, would you just break through with your light this morning? Would you, would you shine forth your light into the deepest recesses of our heart and minds and speak to us about that which may be robbing us of all that you want us to experience in life, maybe stealing from us all that you have created us to be? Father, would you shine your light into those recesses and, and draw out from us anything that would inhibit the experience of joy, that would inhib- inhibit the experience of contentment in our lives? Father, help us to live radically. Help us to live differently. Help us to live distinctly in a world that always is complaining, in a world that always wants more, in a world that seems so bent on on taking. Lord, help us to live as men and women who have found our deepest joy, our deepest satisfaction, our deepest contentment in you. Father, as your servants before you right now, We just spend a moment to be still. And we invite you to speak, for your servants are listening. What is it that you need, you desire to say to us today? As you spend these next few moments sitting before the Lord.